How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. The government of Canada will return all of the money collected through pricing pollution back to Canadians. Well, not quite all, but uh, about 90% of the money collected by a federal carbon price is going to be rebated directly to Canadians who pay it. But not all Canadians. So this was uh, kind of a a long-awaited announcement from the Prime Minister today. How is this going to work exactly when it comes to the federal carbon tax that's going to apply in provinces that don't have one and don't really intend to play ball with this? The Prime Minister's response is that we're just going to bypass those governments and the money that's collected through this carbon tax in those provinces will be rebated to those who are paying it. 90% of the money, they say, will go directly to Canadians who pay it. 10%, they say, will be handed out to small and medium-sized businesses, schools, hospitals, and other organizations. So this isn't going to apply in Alberta because, of course, Alberta has its own carbon tax and Alberta has its own rebate scheme. But certainly Alberta's is not revenue neutral. This federal plan, at least on paper, seems to almost be. Uh, So what's the advantage of this kind of an approach? Are we actually going to see something close to revenue neutral? And if we're giving money back to people, is there still an incentive to reduce emissions? Ultimately, that's the goal of pricing carbon. And I think we're going to compare this to other plans. We need to see what the other parties are proposing. We can, I guess, compare this to doing nothing and the cost of doing nothing. But is that what the other parties are proposing? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer reacting to this today, calling it an election gimmick. At the end of the day, Canadians know that a measly $12.50 a month will not cover the true cost of this carbon tax. Life is going to get a lot more expensive for hardworking Canadians and families, and large industrial polluters are getting off scot-free. People who commute long distances to work in heavy traffic and who drive their kids all over town for sports and other activities, or people who simply can't afford to purchase a new furnace to heat their homes or a new electric car or to buy less gasoline. All right. Well, joining us to, to take a look at these numbers and this approach, very pleased to welcome to the program Trevor Toome, Associate Professor at the University of Calgary uh, Economics Department, Research Fellow at the School of Public Policy at the U of C. Trevor, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks uh, for having me. Great to be here. Okay, well, I guess we're going to study the the pros and cons of this approach. I mean, do do we have faith in in the numbers, the amount of money we're talking about this tax bringing in, and then the amount of money going back out the door? Yeah, it's pretty easy to estimate the revenue implications of a tax like this. I mean, it's a tax that exists in in B.C. and Alberta, certainly, but there's also been a cap-and-trade system in Quebec, and until very recently, Ontario as well. 
And we kind of know how much emissions are in each province, how much fuel is purchased, how much natural gas is used. We have a good sense of how much revenue uh, a tax like this would bring in. And across the four provinces that will be covered by the federal program that was announced today, uh, we're looking at next year about $2.4 billion dollars. Um, that will flow into the federal government for uh, 2019. And then the feds are going to turn around and take that 2.4 and send it back, 90% of it, back to households in those four provinces. Uh, on basically a per capita basis. Then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it'll be tied to a family and it'll grow with family size. So if you're just a single individual, then you'll get a certain amount. If you're uh, a couple with no kids, you'll get a little higher amount. And then for each kid that you have, a little bit more on top of that. And, and that amount varies by province. So they're going to be rebating to each province um, 90% of the revenue raised from that province. So if we look at Saskatchewan, for example, they're going to be receiving the average Saskatchewan household next year will get about $600, whereas in New Brunswick, the average household there will get about $250. Uh, so emissions vary a lot across provinces, and they're going to be tying the rebate to how much is raised in each province. Right. So Saskatchewan would would emit more, there's more collected, there's, there's more going back. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when we compare what households are paying versus what they're getting back, uh, it, it seems as though in some cases the rebate may exceed the cost, but uh, are we factoring all the possible implications in uh, of a tax like this when we, when we look at the cost? Great question. Uh, yes and no. So what's factored into the government costs? Uh, let's look at Saskatchewan again, so it's most relevant for us. The average household there next year will face carbon tax costs of about $400. That counts direct costs at the pump and to heat your home, for example. And it also counts indirect costs. So Statistics Canada tries to estimate how much you know, fuel is used by businesses, how much costs will increase there, and how much that'll be passed on to consumers in the form of higher prices. So the government estimates the, the direct and indirect costs there. But what's not included in that estimate is uh, the broader implications of uh, a carbon tax in terms of economic growth. So it certainly has an effect on uh, GDP growth and therefore income levels, investment levels, and so on. And they estimate it'll shave about 0.1%. All the car carbon pricing policies in Canada will shave about 0.1% off Canada's GDP growth between now and 2022. So that's not really counted in the $400 household costs. Is this, at least in the provinces where it's going to apply, does this seem more or less revenue neutral then? Uh, yeah, and it will be very, very easy to make sure that it's revenue neutral. I mean, first, 90% of the dollars that are generated will just flow right back in the form of a rebate check. Now, those rebate checks, they're based on an estimate of how much revenue will be raised because the checks will begin right away next year. So if people file their taxes early, then they'll get them right early in 2019. So they, they're going to guess how much they're going to raise throughout 2019, send those rebates ahead of time. And as the actual data comes in, you know, in 2020, uh, then they'll make adjustments to future rebates. And this will all be kept in separate accounts. So it'll be incredibly easy for the Auditor General to verify uh, whether or not dollars in equals dollars out. 
would, would there be any kind of significant administration cost in in a tax and rebate plan like this? And does that have to come from somewhere? No, no. In that, this is all kind of computerized and will piggyback on top of a wide variety of tax credit programs that already exist. So there's the GST credit, the child care uh, credits. There's low income. You know, working tax benefits are kind of like a wage subsidy. So there are all sorts of these transfer programs that already exist and are already administered by the CRA. So they're going to need to write a little computer program. So they're going to have an IT person do that. Uh, but otherwise, it's a kind of set it and forget it kind of thing. And it's not really going to increase the overall size of the CRA just to add one more credit program. So Alberta doesn't pay and won't be paying, I guess, the, the federal uh, carbon tax. So Alberta won't be getting the, the federal carbon tax rebates. This is only going to apply then in those, those holdout provinces. Exactly. So the government, the federal government, looks at what each province is doing and decides whether or not it complies with the federal backstop provisions, and four provinces did not. Other provinces, like Prince Edward Island, for example, have voluntarily opted in to the federal plan. And so for a province like PEI, the feds will impose their system in PEI, but then cut a check to the PEI government, who can then decide what to do with the revenue on their own. So if Alberta joins Saskatchewan, Ontario, um, and Manitoba, scraps our carbon tax, then the federal system would kick in here, and then Albertans would start receiving those large rebate checks as well. And then the government here would be out of the the $1.3, $1.4 billion in revenue that it gets. Right, which maybe from their perspective would not be ideal, but maybe from a consumer's perspective, maybe the federal plan would be more ideal. Yeah, I mean, like with any policy change, there's winners and losers, but the federal rebates would certainly be larger here. So in Alberta, currently about two in three households get a rebate. And that ranges in size from about 300 bucks if you're just a single individual to 540 or so if you're a couple with two kids. But in Saskatchewan, um, once the carbon tax there ramps up to the 30 bucks, which is what Alberta's at today, the average household there will be receiving about $900 in terms of a rebate, and every single household will get it. So if Alberta joins Saskatchewan, then the rebates will increase significantly. Um, potentially doubling in size for many households, and then all Alberta households would receive it. That's interesting. Um, Regarding then the the, the importance of trying to reduce emissions and and the the goal of plans like this, because, you know, there there are conservative critics of this approach, and I suppose maybe there's some ardent environmentalists uh, who might say the same thing, that the carbon tax rates need to be way higher than they are, and rather than rebating money to people, they they need to to feel a pinch. We, We need to almost punish people into significantly reducing emissions. How effective can an approach like this be? That's that's a great question. Um, Some do look at carbon taxes and see them just as a way to raise revenue to fund environmental initiatives and spending, for example. Uh, Others look at a program like what the federal government announced today and say, well, if it's not going to shrink most people's incomes, then why would it affect behavior? I think it's important to keep in mind two different things that are going on. A carbon tax will affect prices. It'll make fuel more expensive. It'll make energy and emissions-intensive products relatively more expensive. And then if you're a consumer, 
um, you're taking your budget and allocating it across products, and you'll respond to prices. So you'll, at the margin, shift away from things that get more expensive. The rebate changes your income and isn't tied at all to your individual purchasing decisions or emissions decisions. So it's kind of a difference between what economists call an income effect and a substitution effect. The carbon tax shifts what you buy, whereas the rebate affects how much you can buy. And a carbon tax tends to work not because it makes you poorer, but because it changes your incentives in terms of which goods to buy and which ones not to buy. And what about the, the policy importance of, of pricing carbon, pricing those externalities? So, I mean, in general, economists look at this and say that there's a lot of ways to lower emissions, and some ways are really expensive that we ought not to do. Um, emitting, when the benefits of doing so exceed the environmental costs, that's fine. What we want to do is not emit if the environmental costs that we don't typically incorporate into our decisions are larger than we get in terms of benefits from the activity that led to the emissions. So a carbon tax tries to make us as individuals think about that and businesses think about that. It tends to be the lowest cost way to lower emissions because it doesn't require the government know how to lower emissions in the best way. It doesn't require the government tell us which light bulbs to adopt or which appliances to buy or which vehicles to buy or, or and so on because yeah. all our search this situation is different, our circumstances differ, so this just gives an incentive that then the market kind of sorts out. Uh, regarding the 90% that's going to go to households, does that imply that consumers pay about 90% of, of the carbon tax, or is this going to be a case maybe of, of businesses kind of subsidizing those household rebates? Yeah, that's a tricky question to answer precisely, so I'm going to shoot out uh, what I think is not a crazy estimate, but keep in mind it's just an estimate, that of the carbon tax that's paid, about two-thirds of it is paid by households, and then about one-third is paid by businesses. You know, the heat uh, in the mall, the, the vehicles that businesses use, they got to buy fuel as well. So 90% means that a good chunk of the revenue raised from businesses will be rebated back to households. And the premise there is that businesses will many of them be able to pass on their cost increases to consumers in the form of higher prices. Um, that's not, of course, universally true. Some businesses have an easier time passing on cost increases than others, and that's kind of what the remaining 10% of the federal dollars are going to be used for, targeting small and medium-sized businesses, in particular those that are trade-exposed, uh, for example. Um, but yeah, the 90%, that is partially funded from dollars raised from businesses. Now, if we're going to compare this plan to doing nothing, I suppose doing nothing is, is ultimately simpler, but does it, is, is it more reasonable to compare this to other possible plans to address emissions? Yeah, and I think that's where a productive conversation could be had. I mean, if the goal is to lower emissions, and people could differ in terms of whether they accept that goal or not, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But all the major parties, at least in Canada, conservatives included, um, aren't saying we shouldn't try to lower emissions. They just have alternative ways uh, in which they want to achieve that. And that's where we should really have a conversation. Um, now, economists look perhaps narrowly at aggregate economic implications of different proposals, and letting the market sort out how to lower emissions does tend to be the cheapest way to do it. But that's not to say that reasonable people can't disagree on 
on other approaches. I mean, a regulatory approach, a centrally planned approach, if you will, while it might cost more overall, it gives the government more discretion over where those costs fall, you know, on which businesses, on which consumers and households. And having that discretion um, maybe is something that appeals to um, some voters or, or some parties more than others. All right. Great insight, Trevor. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. You bet. Anytime. All right. Take care. Trevor Toom, uh, economist, University of Calgary, uh, senior research uh, fellow, research fellow of the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. I mean, there's a question of what you make of this approach. I guess it's kind of a moot point because we ain't getting it. We're still, for now, stuck with the provincial plan and the provincial rebate scheme, which does not go to 90% of households and is not revenue neutral. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.